Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, the Oliver House in Middleborough, Massachusetts is rich with history and is said to be haunted by at least 15 ghosts. The Hometown Ghost Stories crew spent a night investigating the property and learning about its history. Here is what we discovered in this 250-year-old home. This is episode number 39 of Hometown Ghost Stories, overnight inside the Oliver House, Middleborough, Massachusetts. Jason and Elizabeth were excited and nervous to explore this allegedly very haunted house. They had read about it on a blog site about the most haunted houses in America, and since it was only a two-hour drive from their home in Connecticut, they figured they'd make a day trip and spend the night investigating the property. They were by no means professional ghost hunters, but they always wanted to spend the night in a real haunted house, and the Oliver House presented them with that opportunity. They joined the group of about five others, including the tour guide Christy, in the main hallway by the back entrance, where there was a very interesting display of old artifacts that had been found on the property. The tour began on the bottom floor in the dining room and continued throughout the house. When they reached the top floor, Elizabeth had a very uneasy feeling, particularly in the master bedroom. As they got to the last bedroom in the house, Christy took them into a closet between two rooms connecting them. Jason and Elizabeth looked at each other, perhaps both feeling the abnormal cold spot, but not mentioning it out loud. By the looks on the faces of the others, they felt it too. Christy explained that a maid named Julie had a boyfriend who worked on the property, and that the father of the house didn't approve of it. When he learned of their secret relationship, he took the young man out back and hanged him behind the barn. Christy motioned out the closet window to a group of trees behind the barn which stood next to the house. Julie witnessed the hanging from this window in the closet, Earl even left the body hanging there for a week after his death. Julie would stand in this window for hours, gazing out at the last spot where she saw her former lover. Chills ran down Elizabeth's spine. She whispered to Jason that she felt uncomfortable in the room. Jason agreed, and they headed downstairs and out the side door for a breath of fresh air. The tour had concluded at that point anyways, and they were free to roam the property. The other guests left after the tour was over, and Christy retreated to the side room off the kitchen to give anyone who wanted to remain at the house for the evening free reign of the property. It was starting to get dark as Jason and Elizabeth stood outside the looming mass that was the barn. The moon was full and illuminated the cloudless sky as they looked up at the trees where Julie's boyfriend had met his end. I felt something in that room, Elizabeth said. Jason nodded, knowing she wasn't talking about the other people on the tour with them. He looked up at the window to the closet and saw the silhouette of a woman standing in the window. Christy's watching us, he said. Elizabeth looked up in the direction that Jason was looking. That's a little weird, she said. Maybe we should go in and talk to her since everybody else has left. It's probably creepy in there alone, she added. They went back in and headed up the stairs to the room at the closet. Whatever feeling they had earlier had increased tenfold now. Jason headed to the closet where Christy was, but Elizabeth stopped in the bedroom to the doorway, too uncomfortable to walk in. Christy, Elizabeth called. Coming, a voice called. 
from the kitchen downstairs. The blood drained from Elizabeth's face as she realized the woman in the window hadn't been their guide. Just then, she heard Jason yelp from the closet. She rushed over, fearing that he was hurt, but he was staring out the window. Elizabeth glanced out and saw the figure of a man hanging from the tree by the barn, staring up at them with a hateful look in his cold, gray eyes. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Middleborough, Massachusetts. Excavations by Dr. Maurice Robbins of Attleboro, Massachusetts, at the area near the mouth of the Namaskat River, have revealed an archaic village in Middleborough that dates back to at least 2300 BC. This date has been substantiated by radiocarbon dating. Also, a rock to the east of the mouth of the Namaskat River, revealed only when the waters of Lake Assawamsett are low, show a mysterious sign of presence of Mediterranean people. On the rock, is a picture of a Phoenician ship. It was carved by some awe-filled Indian who saw the ship anchored in the lake and was moved to record his sighting for all to see. Middleborough, Massachusetts was settled in 1661 by Europeans, but the history goes back long before the founding of the town. The town was originally named Namaskat in 1661, later changed to Middlebury, then finally Middleborough in 1669. During King Philip's War, the townsfolk took shelter in a fort constructed along the Namaskat River. The fort would eventually be abandoned as the people fled for safer locations in Plymouth County. The fort, which was located where an elementary school now stands, was burnt to the ground, and the town would be abandoned for years. Peter Oliver was born on March 26, 1713 in Boston, Massachusetts. After graduating from Harvard College, he co-ran an importing business with his brother Andrew while continuing studies in science and literature. In 1744, he bought an ironworks in Middleborough, Massachusetts, which mainly produced household cast iron items, metal shovels, and cannonballs. Later that year, he would be appointed Justice of the Peace, and in 1747, he would become a Justice of the Court of Common Pleas. He also served as Justice on the highest court in the Commonwealth the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Judge Oliver used his influence to garner royal contracts for his business, bringing Middleborough into the international arena. With his ironworks business thriving, he built two of the most elegant residences in New England, Oliver Hall and the Oliver Estate. The smaller of the two buildings, and the only one still standing today, was built on what is believed to be Native American burial grounds. The Wampanoag tribe formerly lived on the property, near the Namaskat River. Roughly 1,500 of these Native Americans were wiped out by smallpox, and they're said to be buried on the grounds. Many of these are believed to be buried in the backyard of the Oliver House. The house was a wedding gift from Judge Peter Oliver to his son, Dr. Peter Oliver, and his soon-to-be wife, Sally Hutchinson, who was the daughter of the Massachusetts governor, Thomas Hutchinson. The Olivers were Tories, loyal to the English crown, and they were not liked in town. They would only stay in the house for four years. Letters written by Judge Peter Oliver to King George were discovered by a maid 
hidden in an upstairs closet, which exposed the Olivers as loyalists. Benjamin Franklin, who visited the house on multiple occasions, had instructed the handmaids to search the house in secret to uncover any evidence they could find that would expose the Olivers. Once these letters were discovered, they were given to Ben Franklin, who took them to Faneuil Hall, delivering them to Samuel Adams. Sam read the letters out loud to anyone who would listen, and this led to the fall of the Olivers. The Sons of Liberty came to the house, knocking on the windows, demanding that Peter Oliver come outside. They gave him two options, leave now safely with his family, or stay and experience a violent end. The Olivers took option A and fled to Canada before making their way across the Atlantic to England. Oliver Hall would be burned down by the Patriot mob in 1778, and no trace of the building or its landscape park remains. But the smaller Oliver House was untouched. The house and its contents were confiscated by the Commonwealth, many of the valuables being auctioned off. Eventually, the house would be auctioned off as well, first to Martin Bremer, then Nathaniel Russell, Hushai Thomas, and General Abel Washington. Many of these owners only stayed in the house for about one year. Eventually, Judge Thomas Weston bought the house, and his family lived at the Oliver House until 1893. When Thomas Weston died, the house was left to his daughter, Bethania, and her husband, Earl Sprout. Earl was suffering from tuberculosis, but this would be the least of their troubles. In 1837, the Sprout's two-year-old daughter, Abigail, wandered into the kitchen while her mother was cooking. Bethania took a boiling pot of water from the fire and set it on the kitchen table. Abby, being a curious toddler, reached up and grabbed the pot, tipping it over onto her head, burning 75% of her body. She was rushed to an upstairs bedroom for medical attention, where they attempted to save her life, but would die three days later in the house. Shortly after, five-year-old James Sprout died from pneumonia, and a pregnant Bethania would fall from the front steps, causing a miscarriage. All three children died within six months. Earl Sprout was known to be a rough man. They owned a share of the grist and sawmills on the Namaskit River. Earl would stop by twice a week to help out. One day, he was with a co-worker when a drunken man named Billy Allen came over and deliberately tipped over the cart of slabs they were pushing. Earl turned to his employee, Bill Wright, and offered to pay him $1.25 to punish the man. Allen took him up on his offer and continued to beat Billy until Earl ordered him to stop sparing the man's life. One morning, Earl was found resting on the steps of another job he had. The man inside the building was dead. A stranger approached and asked Mr. Sprout when the man would be in. Earl replied, He'll be in on the resurrection morn. According to tour guides at the Oliver Estate, the Sprouts had a maid named Julie. Julie had begun dating one of the groundskeepers. Earl was a jealous man, and he did not approve of this relationship. He allegedly had the boyfriend hanged in a tree next to the barn. He left the body hanging for seven days outside the window where Julie worked. Every time she passed through what is known as the best closet on the second floor, she had to see her boyfriend's body swinging from the tree. Upon Earl's death in 1864, the house was passed down to Dr. Henry H. Sprout, who had an untimely death, and the house would actually be sold to Peter Oliver, a descendant of the original owners, in 1945. He would have the house restored to its original glory. The Oliver House has its history, and it also has its ghosts. 
With most maps of the Bridgewater Triangle, which we will cover extensively in future episodes, showing the Oliver House just outside the Triangle, we can say that the extreme reports of paranormal activity inside the Oliver House seems to be unrelated. The Oliver House is just a very, very haunted house. The hometown Ghost Stories crew experienced these hauntings firsthand as we spent a night inside the Peter Oliver House. We packed up our gear and headed to Middleborough, Massachusetts to see what we could find. We were greeted on site by Liz Ginsberg, a tour guide and volunteer at the Oliver Estate. Rob, Dave, Andrew, and myself started off by walking the grounds, checking out the barn, and grabbing as much footage while we still had daylight. Liz gave us a thorough tour of the house, starting in the dining room on the bottom floor, moving to the men's parlor and the two kitchens, one of which was where we were told about the tragic tale of Abigail. We were told that the ghost of Abby and James, two of the children who died at the house, were very active, and some of the spirits most frequently spotted in and around the estate. The ghost of James has been seen peeking around corners in the basement, and the voice of Abby has come through spirit boxes, as well as being captured on voice recorders. Many report hearing childlike footsteps running around the house and running up and down the stairs. Every night, staff from the Oliver House bar the door leading to the basement with a wooden beam that slides between iron brackets. Security cameras in the old kitchen have captured this bar being slid out of the brackets and crashing to the floor while nobody is in the house. The main staircase leading up to the second floor looks much like every staircase from every horror movie ever. A full-bodied apparition of a man believed to be Earl has been seen standing at the top of the stairs. We made our way to the second floor, which everyone agreed had a much heavier feeling. Rob noted that on the bedroom on the left, Sally Hutchinson's bedroom, later Bethania's bedroom, it was making him uneasy, getting goosebumps as soon as he passed through the doorway, and he felt like he was being watched. We didn't even finish the tour before something scratched the back of Rob's neck, which was noticeably red. We were informed that the children's bedroom was the most active room in the house for paranormal activity. There was a motion detector built into a toy bird that would actually chirp whenever it picked up on movement. This bird sat right across from a rocking chair. Multiple times throughout the night, we would hear the bird start singing, even when nobody was upstairs. The rocking chair seemed to be moving on its own. We were shown most of the rooms on the second floor, while a few were unavailable as they were being fixed up. We did take the time to move through one of these off-limits rooms to check out one closet in particular. This closet is known as the Best Closet, and has a carving on the wall with the year 1769, discovered under multiple layers of wallpaper. This closet has a shocking history. Liz told us the story of Julie and her boyfriend, who was hanged outside the barn after a jealous Earl found out about their relationship. From the window, you could still see the tree where his body hung for seven days while Julie had to work in the area, passing by the window every day, seeing her lover's body swing back and forth in the wind. The tour was thorough and had a great mix of history along with the ghost stories from previous investigations. Once the tour was finished, it was time to set up and get started with the investigation. We split into two teams. Dave and Rob started upstairs with some spirit box sessions, while Andrew and I headed outside to see what we can capture in the backyard. There have been reports of strange lights, sounds, and even puckwudgies surrounding the woods. A puckwudgie is a human-like creature said to be two to three feet tall 
and can appear and disappear at will, shapeshift, and lure people to their deaths. Native Americans believed that Pukwudgies were once friendly to humans, but eventually turned against them and are best left alone. If you bother one of them, it's believed they will play nasty tricks on you and begin to follow you. They've been said to kidnap people and push them off cliffs, even attacking them with spears or using sand to blind their victims. So naturally, Andrew and I bravely risked our lives and searched the woods. We used thermal imaging as well as regular cameras and night vision cameras to see if we could capture anything the naked eye could not. Thermal imaging uses a sensor to convert the radiation into visible light picture. The picture helps us identify objects in total darkness, and the sensor information also measures temperature differences. Andrew, being a firefighter, is familiar with this technology as they use it in situations where smoke fills a room, and the only way to see through it is with thermal cameras. We didn't find any puckwudgies, but we did hear some noises. But it's impossible to rule out animals in the woods. We did, however, capture a glowing orange ball of light coming from the woods, which we couldn't identify and didn't see again during the night. Meanwhile, Dave and Rob were in an upstairs bedroom using the SB7 spirit box and capturing audio via voice recorder. Some of these responses that they got were chilling. Rob asked how many spirits were with them. A man's voice came through and said six, followed by a much more clear woman's voice also saying six, then a lower voice saying six. While this could be three ghosts confirming that six spirits were with them, let's not ignore the significance of the fact that within ten seconds, the voice sounded off six, six, six. The name Ed also came through on multiple occasions when Dave and Rob were searching for names. The room was very dusty, in fact, the whole house was. So for those watching the video, it may look like orbs are constantly flying by the camera, but most of these can be ruled out as dust. We did capture what we believed to be orbs in a few rooms. They had a different kind of glow to them, they were not insects, as footage can be compared with other instances of insects flying by the camera. There were also a ton of fireflies outside the building on that night, which can really throw you off when searching for orbs, but these were easy to differentiate. It's important when reviewing footage first to rule out everything that isn't paranormal. For audio listeners, I'll do my best to describe what we caught on camera, but swing by our YouTube channel to see for yourself. While Dave and Rob were asking for a name, we captured an orb floating from left to right. This was different from the constant flow of dust, which was mostly floating upwards during the time. This one had started to fly to the right. It forms a perfect circle and appears to be blinking. It then floats up and disappears behind Rob. If this were dust, it likely would have continued along the path in front of the camera like the thousands of others that floated by. And the flashing was not consistent with any of the dust we captured before. It was not an insect, we simply don't know what it was, and we don't want to rule out the fact that it could have been an orb. Later in the same clip, the camera begins to lose focus, followed by a booming, growl-type sound. Due to Dave and Rob's lack of a reaction to this noise, it appears as though the camera picked up on some audio that they didn't hear, but it's loud. It doesn't sound like it came from the spirit box. This is also the same time that the camera began to move without being touched. It was mounted, not being held by a cameraman. We also get our flashing orb again around the same time. This time, it appears to pass from Dave's head, downward, then changing direction and moving up. Again, this could be dust, but all these events happening around the same time was very eerie. Rob and Dave caught a voice coming through the spirit box, which we believe could have been Abigail. 
Dave asks, who was in that closet? And the voice of a little girl came through whispering, me. We'll play you what we caught on camera and voice recorder, and you let us know what you think. It'll replay once or twice each time. Who's in that closet? Who's in that closet? At this point, Andrew and I came back into the house and started investigating downstairs. We started in the old kitchen, sitting at the table where Abigail was mortally wounded. We used dowsing rods and set up night vision cameras conducting our investigation in complete darkness. The footage captures a light turning on and off in the hallway, but we didn't notice it at the time, so I don't want to rule out the possibility of one of the battery-operated candles dying or Liz turning off lights in the other room. We simply didn't notice it when it happened, so I can't call it one way or another. But the battery-operating candles dying is not something to ignore. These have been known to die out in the Oliver house, even with fresh batteries. It's believed that in haunted locations, spirits will draw energy from whatever they can. Fully charged batteries unexpectedly dying is a massive indicator that a ghost could be near pulling energy from these sources to manifest. Using dowsing rods, we established movements to correspond with yes and no questions, and we fired away. We received clear answers to several of our questions, but then the connection went cold. Dowsing rods are a basic tool used by paranormal investigators. These are some of the most commonly used tools to connect with the dead, dating back to the earliest paranormal investigations. They are two L-shaped copper rods and have tubes on the short side, allowing them to move back and forth freely. You hold one in each hand, perpendicular to the ground, and they can move left, right, or cross. The idea is, you ask a question, and the spirit or spirits in the location move the rods for you to answer your question. Once we felt that the spirit had moved on, or didn't feel like answering any more of our questions, Andrew and I moved on to the men's parlor to continue our investigation. Meanwhile, Dave and Rob moved into Bethany's bedroom. A balloon with a light inside had been set on a vanity next to a closet by a previous paranormal team. As Dave goes to open the closet door, the balloon starts moving around. We slowed down the footage to see if he bumped into it, which he did not. You can notice Dave's reaction as he saw the movement. He didn't even open the closet door since he noticed the balloon seemingly moving on its own. But it's a balloon, and just walking by any balloon could cause it to move around. Dave tested out its reaction by waving his hand next to it, which caused it to rock back and forth a little faster. We think this probably isn't paranormal. Had it been a heavier object, or literally anything besides a balloon, it certainly would have been more compelling. At this point, we split up. Rob joined me in the parlor, and Dave and Andrew went to investigate the basement, where the ghost of James has been spotted. A narrow staircase takes you down to where the servants used to sleep. Behind the furnace are the tiny compartments where they used to lay. On the walls of these small living quarters, you could still see the markings and scratches made by those who used to sleep there. In the men's parlor, Rob and I sat down to conduct a spirit box session. We started off by asking if anyone was here. Immediately, the same voice came through twice and said, here. Later on, I asked how many spirits were in the house, and Rob heard ten. Dave and Rob got six upstairs, we got ten downstairs. It's been said by investigators and mediums who have visited the property that at least fifteen ghosts haunt the Oliver house. This puts us at sixteen, unless they move around from floor to floor. We got a ton of voices coming through the spirit box in this room, but had a hard time understanding them. 
To wrap up the investigation, Rob headed upstairs, back into Bethania's bedroom, to investigate Solo. Rob wanted to get to the bottom of who scratched his neck, and which spirits he had been connecting with throughout the evening. Rob got multiple responses on the spirit box, and we'll play you that recording in a moment. We believe a few names came through, including one clip which may have said, Jesus, and the voice of a little girl, possibly Abigail again, saying, Mommy, whatever spirit he was connecting with was nice enough to even say goodbye to him at the end. Check it out for yourself and let us know what you hear. Did you scratch it at all? Once? Did you scratch it at all? Once? Once? Did you fall down the stairs? I am gonna let you go. Is there anything you want to tell me before we before I leave the room? It is almost Saturday. Have a good night. Oh bye. Oh have a good night. Oh bye. Oh. Oh, bye. Oh. We didn't catch everything that happened to us at the Oliver House on camera, so we'll discuss that on the live portion of the show. But what I can say is, we were not alone at the Oliver House. It felt like something was watching us. Something scratched Rob's neck, and not one but several different voices were communicating with us. Not just random words, but intelligent responses. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, The Peter Oliver House, Middleborough, Massachusetts. gentlemen welcome into hometown ghost stories episode number 39 the peter oliver house in middleborough massachusetts i'm jesse wilkins i'm joined by rob coakley what's up rob i i just can't believe that i drive by this house every time i go to dave's and just had never been there to be perfectly Same. honest had no clue it even existed until we went on the uh uss salem and met uh liz right we're also here with dave wilkins what's up dave What's going on? I really hope my microphone works. It it's does. Perfect. Good, good. My uh, tripped a breaker in the middle of the episode and my entire room shut off. Nothing. And I was like, oh, no. I <laughs> 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 had run down to the breaker box and fix it real quick. So I was slightly panicked there. But uh, we're good. And uh, Rob, have you ever um, felt anything weird going by the house in the past? Well, no, because it's like right off that road. So I don't. So like there's a main road called 44 that 
just for people that are unfamiliar with the area, that this road is off of Plymouth Street. So I take 44 to Dave's house. If you take a left on Plymouth Street from the way I come, it's literally the first house on the left. But I never go down that road. I never even knew the house existed. It's right across from this campground. Um, and the house, I'm going to be honest, I had low expectations going to this house. I don't know about you two. Uh, I'm like, if it's really that terrifying or things happen, I would have heard about it. It's 10 minutes from my house, right? I've been in the area for since basically birth in some capacity. And I don't know about this house. Uh, I call BS. It's in the top, top 100 haunted houses in the country. If you look that up, you're in the top 100 haunted houses in the country. Mm, Good one. I also hadn't, I also hadn't heard of, um, this house before, but again, I started searching the lists and I, it was up there. You know, if you look the top haunted haunted places in Massachusetts, this one actually pops up, and I was surprised that we hadn't heard about it before. And um, I don't think any of us did. Did I, I know you know Liz from before the uh, the ghost ship? Did was there? Did you know about the Oliver House before? I did not. But when when, he, when we started, but it's a top one hundred haunted house in the country. So when Dave, we went to how the did boat, you not know was, about it? When we went to the boat and we were shocked. because I didn't. I mean, what, I mean, I don't. I, I'm shocked. Okay, Rob. Name the top 100 haunted houses in America. Go. Literally any house I name is going to be in the top 100 because every list lists every house as the top <laughs> haunted house in the freaking country, right? That's because there's only 100 haunted houses in the United States. That's, that's what makes sense. <clears throat> this show is going to end way faster than we thought then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's start this off. I want to welcome everyone who's hanging out in live chat. We actually have a, uh, a large amount of people. Um, and if you guys want to also tune into the live uh, broadcast, you can every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But uh, Demetrius here, Matt's here, TJ's here. What's up, TJ? Uh, Selchuk is here. We have, we have the usual crowd. Catherine swung by, but it looks like she tuned out immediately because she wants to watch it from the beginning. Bobby was here, but we blocked him for being a simp. Um, Stoff <laughs> <and then laughs> uh, is here. Cash, Cash is here on all of his accounts as usual. Uh, Fox Crown. Uh, huge shout out to Fox Crown and um, and everyone who's who's subbed on the uh, Patreon. That's uh, it's pretty awesome. So, oh, Meg Casher's here too as well. I haven't seen her in the uh, chat before. Welcome in everybody. It is uh, is great to hang out with with all of you. If you like the show, if you want to support the show, uh, do swing over to iTunes, leave us a five star review, and we will read your reviews at the end of the show. Yes, and join the Discord. Join the Discord and talk to us because uh, the Discord is where you can connect with us most easily. And Irish Assassin, once again, um, being an absolute animal, he said he heard a crying sound. Did anybody else? Was that uh, just Dave crying when, he, <laughs> when we started off the live part, or was that a uh, part of the Spirit Box sessions? That was. Uh, that was. I'm pretty sure that was my stomach growling like 15 seconds before he posted that. May, I, I'm pretty sure he was talking about during the episode <laughs> but i don't know he said, uh, i just talk. heard it so i'm pretty sure and my stomach did growl so. oh maybe yeah mm. Mm. so do we want to talk about the history of the house first before the investigation i think so yeah because there's a lot that we want to go over and i alluded to it in the episode that there was a lot that happened to us in that house that we weren't able to capture on camera or that i mean there was some spirit box stuff that you were texting me like oh i heard this and this and this and i, I couldn't uh isolate it properly I couldn't ISO it, and or, yeah. or it just didn't sound good. I mean, honestly, none of the spirit box stuff 
sounds good on the recording. So I apologize to right. your ears for anybody who is uh, trying to decipher that. But um, I mean, this is me going through it and, and all of us going through all of the footage lots of times, just, just figuring out exactly what we're hearing on tape. And, um, and it's a little bit subjective, but we'll get into that, all that stuff in a little bit. So the history of the house, um, the Olivers were really only in the house for a couple of years. I think it was four years total. And, um, but you had some very notable people that swung by. Obviously we mentioned briefly Ben Franklin. So that's obviously, uh, the biggest name that 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 came familiar. But he had been by multiple times, actually. He had been there for a few parties and everything. And it turns out that his intentions uh, weren't great on his visits. He was basically trying to figure out if this family was loyal to the English crown. And he wanted to um, he wanted to figure out if he needed to expose them and, uh, and let the Sons of Liberty know that these guys were loyalists. And they were. And they were absolutely loyalists. And they use this and they use their political power to garner contracts from the UK. And basically, if you were a loyalist, you were getting paid at this point in time in in history. So you were making money because England's lining your pockets for your business, basically. And uh, this wasn't just in Middleborough. This was all over uh, the East Coast where the loyalists made a good amount of money. So there was a, a big financial benefit to being a loyalist at the time but you had to kind of keep that secret so when this depending family, on the town you were in right there were, there were some towns that were like full-on loyalist towns as well right like uh, actually marshfield our hometown yeah. was a big loyalist town don't don't we don't hour that that's you and dave you fucking traitors oh you're from middleborough and you don't even know where the, i'm not even from Oliver middleborough i'm not i'm from bridgewater <laughs> bridgewater <laughs> bridgewater <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, the whole thing, like there's, you didn't want to be openly, you know, a loyalist in most places to your point. So Ben Franklin comes in here hearing these rumors. He's kind of friendly with them a little bit, but he's cold blooded and he's going to pose as their friends and find out anything he can. Right. And, um, stays there enjoys the bathtub quite a bit from what we hear in the stories upstairs. We can elaborate on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Benjamin Franklin was a gigantic pervert and, um, really enjoyed the company of women in bathtubs. So he would go up there with some of the help and that's probably where he coerced this, this maid to kind of snoop around the house for him. And it ended up working out. And she found some letters hidden in this little tucked part of the closet in the wife's bedroom. And um, the rest is legitimately history. I don't think you could just go around calling Benjamin Franklin a pervert simply based on the fact that he likes to bathe with people. No, look up the history of Ben Franklin and you will see that he was an absolute pervert. Great about but he could I just should, be crazy about be being clean, and whereas hot water wasn't readily available back then, it's you know economical to bathe together. I think so. Maybe Dave's tried to pitch that to Rick <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. and it makes more sense economically. <laughs> this, if you just take this bath together. You you are are you channeling Ben Franklin right now? And this is how he would get the maids to bathe with him. Is this maybe he this, possessed me while I was in the house? 
Maybe it was his spirit. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, um, so, so says that Ben Franklin dropped out of her high school. Uh, what was he like? I was going to say, you don't look that old. <laughs> convince you to take a bath with him. Anyways, uh, so that's a little little piece on Ben Franklin. Obviously not what he's best known for, but he had it all for the Olivers. Um, he coerced one of the maids into uh, searching for evidence that they could um, use against him. So she found, like Rob said, she found the letters tucked into a corner inside the closet. And that closet um, was super creepy. I, I, I think when they opened it, it scared the shit out of me because there was a dress <laughs> yeah. hanging yeah. from a hook and the dress kind of swung out at me. <laughs> but I'm not the only one. I went back and I watched like some of the other paranormal investigations that happened at that house. Yeah. And, um, Nick Groff's show. I think it's a paranormal lockdown. They yeah. were there, and I watched that show for the first time um, yesterday. And as soon as they opened that closet, he's like, "Whoa, that, that just scared me for some reason." I was like, "Hey, that was my reaction." <laughs> like, that's uh, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, it's something about that closet. It's uh, very creepy. They still have the original wallpaper. So the the footage that we showed of the wallpaper, we zoomed like way in, and it was kind of like, "Why are we so zoomed in on this closet?" It's because all of the wallpaper, every single one of those little. Um, little decals or like the flowers that you saw inside that they were all individually hand painted, which is kind of how you did wallpaper at the time. And they still had the original wallpaper. Some of it was peeling down. So our original idea was we go into this closet, we do an investigation, we sit someone inside that closet, but we were very careful and we decided it was probably not a great idea to um, squish into this corner that has all this original wallpaper that's already falling down. We don't want to do any damage to the house. So yeah. ax that idea. It was real funny when that door opened and that dress swung out. Um, it, I don't know why it reminded me of the scene from from Psycho almost when like they turn the body around and it's got like the sweater on and not exactly the same thing, but just the reaction from like that dress swinging out. It's like holy shit! There's a ghost flying out of here. So, um, what looks at? I thought there was just a woman. Like ha ha! Like yeah. <laughs> I was like oh shit! Surprise! Yeah, yeah no. But that whole room was the most terrifying room to me in general. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But I did not enjoy that room at all, to be perfectly honest. There was I, in the whole second floor. Sorry, Dave. Uh, in the whole second floor for me, it, it had like a whole different, it had like a much heavier feeling. It definitely felt like something was off up there. Dave, what were you about to say? We've investigated um, a, a bunch of locations now. And I've seen Rob uncomfortable a couple times at different ones. Um, the... North Adams one comes to mind, but this I've never seen Rob that uncomfortable in a particular room before. That was that was a first, I think. Yeah, yeah for the that whole EVP session where you went up there by yourself, and we'll get into the specifics of it, specifics of it later. But while I was reviewing that footage over and over again to try to figure out what we caught and what we did, you know, what was nothing, but uh, the whole clip, you you get like three good questions in, and then you just kept trying to say goodbye. <laughs> you were, just like, you were ready to go for like this, like seventy five percent of that, and uh, you just you just wanted to get out of there, but it kept talking to you. Well, let you go. Well, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later, but let's let's keep going on the house. Um, so yeah, it's the whole Ben Franklin story. He gets the family out, and like the Oliver story is like rich in history. Uh, you got Ben Franklin involved. They have a room called the Ben Franklin Room because that's where the men would drink at night, and it's all super cool. And everything, but I think the heart of the hauntings is from the Sprout family, not even from the Oliver family. Not saying yeah. that the Oliver family might not be haunting it or whatever, but 
for me, the Sprouds or Sprouds or however you say their name is Sprout. Sprouts is the Sprout. It's uncomfortable every time you say it. You just want to say Sprout. I'm pretty sure I said it once or twice in the episode back, but it is Sprout with an A. But I'm pretty sure that like of the hauntings, that family is the most um, is the most present there, in my opinion. I believe so as well. Yeah. So it it didn't feel like we were connecting with like one ghost in particular or just like the kids or anything when we were there. And a lot of people say the same thing is that you have a mix of tragedy that happened on these lands. Mm-hmm. Right. So even dating back to the to King Philip's War, where right. you have thousands, like this was this was the area. It was right near the Namaskit River, and this is right where there were uh Wampanoag tribes that were on that property and they basically got wiped out. I think it was like upwards of 70 to 80%, maybe more of their entire tribe, thousands of people that got wiped out by smallpox, obviously when the settlers came in and brought disease. And that was right where they were. They're likely buried right there. And you have that. Then you have, I mean, the Olivers got ran off the property. I don't even know if any of them really died there, but then you have, the Sprout family and a few generations before that as well, or not necessarily generations, but a few families had moved in there before. Not entirely sure the history on um, whether or not people died there before, but there's just, whenever you have a house that's this old, it's, it's what 250 plus years old. All right. You have generations of people moving in and out. Um, insane acts of historical situations going on with obviously Ben Franklin, but with the Oliver house being ran out of the house uh, the Patriot mobs burning part of the property. I mean, not that, that house in particular, but they burned the Oliver Hall down. I mean, there, there's so much history tied to it, but so much tragedy followed that with the Sprout family, like we said. And I agree with you. I think a lot of a lot of the hauntings and a lot of the reasons for that is because of the tragedy that the Sprout family saw. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, the, all of the kids, you know, and the mother lived there her entire life and also died there. Right. So Bethania was originally her family's house. They were the family that took over after the Olivers or at some point after the Olivers. So she was either born in the house or at a young age, the family acquired the house. And she lived there up until her death, where they can't tell you exactly what room she died in or anything. But the obvious answer to that, the most likely answer, rather, would probably be the wife's bedroom because she took over the Oliver wife's bedroom as well. So because this is back in the day, the wife and the husband had their own separate bedrooms in the place. They didn't sleep together. So her, her death spot was probably that room that I kept not liking to go into with the weird closet and everything. Yeah, so it's the Mary Hutchinson room, and then right. it's also the Beth- Bethany's bedroom. So it, uh, uh, that was the same room, obviously. And then the most haunted room on that floor was supposed to be the kids' room, and it had definitely a creepy feel to it. I mean, whenever you walk into a room that has a whole bunch of creepy dolls and stuff, and then the rocking chair and everything, um, that definitely had a, a feeling to it as well. But I, I had I, that, um, that motion sensor bird, too, that mm-hmm. was in there which was a doll that they put in there to add to the, you know, the feel of the nursery, but it would go off by itself sometimes without anything provoking it, which is well, when we were all downstairs. 
Yeah, where we're all downstairs, and all of a sudden we hear that stupid little bird chirping upstairs. We're like, all right, who's up there? And no one was up there. Yeah. So, so my immediate theory would be it's probably picking up on the rocking chair. I feel like that's, I mean, it could be picking up on anything, but I feel like the rocking chair is probably the most likely thing to move up there. And I'm not saying that it's moving on its own. I'm saying it's probably moving because of something paranormal. And yeah. with that being the most active room, that could probably be the one. What I thought was interesting with the, with that bird though, cause like you can try to write that off as a few different things, but it was going off when no one was up there. And then me and Dave go and do this full investigation up there. Um, where we're doing the spirit box section and everything, we're walking in front of this bird, and it's not going off. Like the whole time we're up there, it's not it's not doing anything. And then we go back downstairs, and then the bird starts chirping. And we're just like, what the f-? like that's weird. Like that's pretty strange. <laughs> that is very strange. Yeah, it's, could uh, suggest that it just malfunctions. That it's just a malfunctional motion sensor too, or it only picks up on ghosts, or yeah. it's oh, just a ghost motion sensor, a ghost chin sensor. I knew it was coming. Yeah, we all knew. Thanks for we the setup. None of us liked it. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously the tragedy starts with the, the Sprode family where um, actually all, all three of these kids died within, I guess, about six months of each other. So you had yeah, a- Abby who died from horrific accident where she reached up, I think it was like a tea kettle or something, but oh. a boiling, boiling pot of water dumped it all over herself. And then Cash mentioned this in the comments while the video was playing. They just rush her upstairs, and then she dies. I understand this is 1800s, probably isn't a hospital close by. Maybe they did call the local doctor. I'm sure they called the local doctor. It's probably a situation, right, where at that point in time, the local doctor came and said, even if you bring her to a hospital, they didn't have skin grafts and all that other stuff back then. And, mm-hmm. you know, like they bring her to a hospital. What are they going to do other than hopefully be able to change out her sheets and stuff more frequently than at the house? I guess. Like, what are they doing at that point in time in history at a hospital for burns that significant? Yeah. So the doc, good. Yeah, I was, was going to say it was probably a situation where the doctor showed up and said, make her as comfortable as possible because right. the quality of life is not going to be there. Right. So, I mean, that's, I, again, it sounds harsh, but at the end of the day, if there's nothing that can be done at the hospital, might as well leave her at home and just hope for a miracle, I guess. True. Yeah. And then um, shortly after their other son, James died of uh, pneumonia. Yep. Not, not much you can do about that at the time. And then we get to Bethany falling down the stairs. Now there is a lot of talk about Earl of whether or not maybe he pushed her down the stairs. I don't really see why I would think I would need some evidence or a motive to really buy into that theory. But Earl was known to be a bit of a rough man, as we mentioned in the episode. And um, a lot of this is based off of some paranormal evidence that people have gotten, which obviously you don't want to soil a man's good name if uh, he didn't push his pregnant wife down the stairs. But a lot of the EVPs that have been caught out of that house, they believe to be Bethany's ghost saying things like he pushed me, uh, Earl pushed me and things of this nature. We didn't catch anything like that with our team, but this is some of the stuff that's been reported at the house. Right. You don't want to you don't want to base murder accusations off of 
paranormal EVPs 250 years later, but um, I it's, do. A, it's a working theory. It's a working theory. And also, I want to touch on a couple of things during the episode. Um, that guy that was dead inside the business that Earl was sitting on the steps of, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the guy just died and Earl found him, but he had like a real cryptic response to whoever showed up the next day. So I don't think he murdered this guy which upon listening to the episode again, I'm like, it kind of sounds like I'm insinuating that he murdered this guy, <laughs> but I don't think he murdered that guy. I'm pretty sure dude just died. And can uh, I, can a ghost see you for libel? I don't think so. I think we're safe. I don't think we're safe. <laughs> However, Good. not even that long ago, Peter Oliver, I don't know, the third, fourth or fifth went back and bought the house, like a descendant of the original Oliver family. And he was one of the guys to first really start fixing up and restoring it to its original property. I don't want to take any credit away from, whoever actually may have also contributed to restoring the house. It seems like it's a never ending project, but, um, right. But I think he was, he might've been the first one to kind of like kickstart that whole, um, initiative to get those, the house restored to what it used to look like. But we got that's a, Peter Oliver. So they're back. We got an interesting story on that too. And then we'll dive into the investigation. Um, they were telling us that when they bought this house and they were restoring it at one point, a neighbor came by, with like this massive door and goes, I think this is your front door. And they're like, what, what do you mean? You think this is our front door? And they're like, yeah, we think uh, like a hundred years ago, somebody brought the door over and we've been, it's been in our basement since we bought the house or have had the house or whatever. So we're bringing it back over. We think it's your door. And then sure as shit, they put it like back on the hinges and it's the door. It's the actual door for the Peter Oliver house. And for some reason it was taken off. It's just, I can tell you why this is perfect. I can tell you why this probably checks out. At, my house is old. It's not Peter Oliver house old, but it's old. Built in like mm-hmm. 1899 or something like that. The original doors to this house, no two doors are the same. Even all the doors inside. Each bedroom door is a different size. They all just kind of, they just seem to like cut them to fit whatever the hell they cut out. I don't think they measured much in that time or something like that. But every single door, bathroom doors, closet doors, bedroom doors, every single door is a completely different size. And every window is a different size, which is a huge pain in the ass when you try to replace windows. But that's why I'm saying it, it probably checks out because if they squeeze that door in and they, and they drop that door on the hinges and it actually fits, you're like, yeah, yep, that's the fucking door. Thank you. Thank you for bringing right. it back. Yep. Well, they weren't, they obviously didn't have like a Lowe's where they could just go buy like pre-fit door jams. So when they're building the house, they just build a doorway at mm-hmm. a size and then just cut the doors to fit in afterward. That's why none of them are all, none of them the same size. And this particular door, this front door that the neighbors just brought over was gigantic. It probably weighed 350 yeah. pounds of just yeah. solid oak or whatever, hickory, whatever it's made out of. <laughs> they must've like brought it over on a flatbed trailer or something. Cause it was so big. <laughs> Yeah, it's a massive door, but it's pretty cool that it's back there. They probably brought it over in the Lobotomobile. <laughs> That's right. That's yes. probably what it was. Cash asks um, if the uh, doors are heavy enough for me to throw my shoulder out. The answer is yes. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, everything is. So the only other tragedy that I want to hit on real quick is the one of hanging the daughter's boyfriend because – why are we doing this? Why is the town allowing this? What is happening here? They're just going to let this dude swing in the tree for seven days. Just like the size of this, that this property was right. It's not true, like, true. it's not like just swinging in the front yard like of, you know, whatever plain street, you know, nowadays, right. This is like a massive, I don't remember how many acres it was, but it was huge. You know, it's, 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 it's still huge. Now it was even bigger back then. Uh, you know, the, this property included what's now the Oliver mill across the street. It was just, an enormous so right. I was driving by and seeing it and this was 
uh, I don't know if he was a, he was just a, a part, like a poor kid who worked for the family. Right. I don't remember if he was like a, a you're supposed to be a groundskeeper. Yeah. Right. So, he, you know, these, these kids who work as groundkeepers, they probably come from families who don't, or like, you know, don't have families and they're just kind of, you know, grifters, but, um, like plumbers, so. Dave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, not like plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, this story. So I had reached out to Stephanie because I'm doing the episode and upon the third time is telling the story in the same episode. I was like, I should probably check and see if this is legit. So I looked into, um, I looked into it online. I couldn't really find anything. So I had reached back out to Stephanie, who was our tour guide. And I, I had asked her, I was, like, I was like, hey, is this like a, a legend or is there any truth to it? And she said that it, it's not a legend. So I'll take her at her word for it. They're the experts on the house. So I was like, right, cool. So is her name Stephanie? I forget. Who's our tour? Liz. Liz. Why, did I say, why did I say Stephanie? I'm reading chat over here. Anyway, sorry. I reached yeah, out to Liz. Stephanie. Yeah, we have so many Stephanies in chat. I apologize. Yeah, I reached out to Liz, who is a tour guide. Sorry for messing up your name. And uh, she confirmed the story. So I'll take her out of word for it. I mean, they're experts on the house, and I'm sure they all have um, a collective pool of information that they all. Right. Can you grab Matthew Thomas's comment right there? He's because he asks, he's asking a question. Um, he said, "So at what part in the house's history did Jesus hang out there?" And I think this would be a good way to. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually. I think this would be a good way to jump into the um, the the, um, seg- the segment on um, our ghost hunt. Yes. Because I'm reading this uh, story online posted. It was on WBSM, uh, which is a New Bedford news talk station about a tour that they had done there or a tour of somebody that they interviewed there. And it says, here's the quote. So when Christy Parrish, who manages the estate, asked if Bethania had any message for us, the board spelled out, God loves you, which was a nice, pleasant way to end our evening. So these are probably like very Christian people or probably were very, you know, very Christian people. Everyone was back then. Uh, so I feel like it's interesting that they got that, um, answer through the spirit box and we got the Jesus through the spirit box. So, you know, I feel like that's an interesting correlation there. Yeah, it is interesting. It could be one or the other. So I don't think there's anything satanic here, regardless that uh, we, we got like six, six, six through the spirit box at one point, but the, I don't think it's anything satanic there, but the other side of things is if there is something evil there and Rob got scratched. I mean, we'll get into all that in a little bit, but um, if there is something evil there, then one of the things that they do is they mock Christianity. They mock the Holy Trinity. They mock all sorts of things. So them throwing out the name Jesus is, is not something that's uncommon, but I think it's more likely what you said, Dave, which I hadn't thought about. And I read that article, actually, I think that's where I pulled the uh, video of the security footage where the, um, the wooden bar that was sitting in those right. iron hinges got knocked off. Pretty cool video. Um, a little tough to see because it's security footage, but you could actually, the, the sound was original to that video where you can actually hear the wooden plank hitting the ground. Very cool. So uh, TJ says Liz is watching. Liz, sorry for messing up your name. I apologize. I got it right 14 other times, but accidentally I was reading Stephanie's comment and I said, Stephanie, I'm sorry. Okay. Can we move on? Yeah. She's not, she's not going to drop it. Yeah. She's going to keep bringing it up. Anyways, let's, let's get into the investigation. Um, we, Sorry, I just read the comment. Was this before or after the hot wing challenge? This was actually right after the hot dog challenge, which sucked. But um, yeah, Rob, Rob had a hot dog breath the entire night. It was brutal. Yeah, I hated That's it. Probably why the ghost scratched. She was like, "Get out of my face!" Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. Anyways, what when you pulled up to the house, was there anything that stood out to you like right away? It finally had that 
you're pulling up to a Victorian mansion look that I like. Which That's is, a good point. I didn't even think of that, but that is an is excellent point. A long dirt road with trees yep. and a beautiful front yard and then a creepy aura to it. Yeah. The only thing that threw it off a little bit for me was the handicap ramp that had clearly been added, but obviously you have to do that if you're a public place. So, right. But uh, other than that, it still has a very original look. The barn had like a Tim Burton, like uneven kind of look to it, which I kind of liked as well. And, um, but overall, you definitely get that vibe. I think that the shutters also had that kind of um, that Halloweeny look, where they're all kind of a little bit uneven, and it was it was a uh, it was a cool looking house. So I was pretty happy about it, and uh, I was like, all right, this this is gonna work. This is gonna work. And we pulled up there. What time did we start? Like seven p.m. or something like that. So we were running out of daylight, and we immediately were like running around the property trying to get as much footage as we could. Um, we had a cameraman showed up who did a great job, but we're trying to crank all this stuff up right thank away you. Started. thank you to danny smith for coming out and taking some photos for us appreciate that and then we were also attacked by a massive amount of flies while we were trying to <laughs> stand still for pictures which was tough but they seem to um calm down once the uh, sun set anything jump out to you particularly dave in the beginning uh nothing aside from what jesse said it was cool to get that kind of that off not you know, authentic but like that classic haunted house kind of look and this is a very cool looking house um, if you missed the, if you're listening on the audio podcast, you can just Google the Oliver House. It'll pop right up, and you can take a look at this. It's a very creepy looking house. Yeah, yeah I, I know we say this every week, but for people that are listening to the podcast, for this one in particular, you get so much visual stuff with the investigation of what we captured, and kind of some subtitles that go along with what we think we heard from the spirit box and everything. I would highly recommend for, especially for investigation episodes, that you swing on over to YouTube and check out uh, the live footage or the uh, the actual video behind it. Also, because this one in particular, I spent a lot of time on. So please go, please go look at it. <laughs> so for me, like of all the things that stood out, nothing jumped out at me right away. But like you said, we were running around taking a bunch of camera, like taking a bunch of photos, a bunch of film of the house, just to you know get that B roll stuff before we actually dove into the tour and everything. And I went outside to get some stuff out of the car, and I thought you guys were going to begin the tour. Right. So I'm like, I'm getting stuff out of the car. I'm rushing back into the house. I think you guys have already started the tour and I walk in and nobody's on the first floor. And I'm like, okay, so they went upstairs. So I had, I hit the stairs and I'm recording to go up the stairs because I'm like, let me get this while there's still daylight. Cause the house is really dark. There's not a lot of lighting in there. Um, so I'm trying to get this footage of going up the stairs. I'm like, I'm going to run into them right when I get up the stairs. They're going to be talking about one of the rooms or something. And I get up the stairs. And as soon as I take a left in the hallway, I'm like, oh, I feel kind of weird. And I keep get, I'm still recording. I feel a little more weird as I'm going down the hallway. But nobody's there. And I get to the end of the hallway. And if you get to that end of the hallway, you look to the left is um, the wife's bedroom. The right is the husband's bedroom. And nobody's upstairs. And I'm just like, oh, and then I look at that bedroom on the left and my stomach like started like feeling weird. And I'm just like, all right, I'm going to go find where they are. I don't want to be in here by myself right now. And I took off down the stairs and I went and found you guys wherever you were outside somewhere. That was like my first experience in the house that I like felt something. So let's talk about the scratch because that happened early on because that was during the tour. And you mm-hmm. legitimately got scratched. You stopped and you're like, dude, my neck got scratched. Is there anything here? Is there anything here? And I didn't see anything too much at first. But as 
that went on, like you, you noticed that there was, it looked like two red scratches and I showed the photo briefly, but I'll show it again here uh, for those that are watching, but you can see two scratches. I don't know if you can see my mouse, but it kind of looks like almost like a sideways, like a greater than symbol on your neck there. So, so I was definitely see it. So just, I, and if the thing you didn't bring up is I actually pulled Jesse aside like we were doing this tour, we were following the tour guide Liz into a room, and I grabbed Jesse and I'm like, "Hey, stay back here for a second. I want you to check out my neck." I'm like, "Cause I don't want to just be one of those guys that like, oh my god, I got scratched and blah 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 blah, and like we make this big deal of it." I'm like, "Just take a look. I feels like it feels like something's on my neck. I I don't want cameras. We didn't have any of the cameras, none of that. I'm like, just take a look. Is there something here?" And you're like yeah, dude, there is something on your neck. And I'm just like, oh, my God. I'm like, maybe we should be filming this. But I wasn't even sure you are going to put it in the, in the episode because I was like, I'm still, like, so on the fence about that. I Yeah, I a lot of times when I see this, and I've mentioned it before, like, I hate this part of paranormal investigations where, like, the, I got scratched. You know, it's like I always discount it. But just as your friend, as someone who trusts you, I find you credible. So it's like... And you had brought it up. Like, I didn't, I don't think I meant to scratch myself and everything, or I don't think I did it myself. And I didn't see you scratching your neck at all, but maybe, but, uh, I didn't want to discount it. And I felt like it was good enough to include it in the episode since, uh, it legitimately happened. I mean, you legitimately brought it up. I just wish we got more on camera while we were filming. Um, yeah. And we did did snap a few pictures of it. So we have that. We probably should have. It's just more about like, being those guys and i guess like that's where our skepticism still comes in Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so yeah i guess next time we just film everything and make sure we have it right but i I didn't want to make a scene i will say you know what i mean finish i thought you're done sorry no i'm I, i just was saying i just didn't want to make a scene we're there with a tour guide and i don't want to be like in the middle of the tour being like do you see the scratch like on my neck? And then I start running around that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. why I, I literally like, if, if anyone could have seen it, I, I legit grab Jesse's arm. and like, Hey, hang back for a second. I just want you to take a look at this for me. Um, yeah. It was, I didn't make a big deal about it. And, and I don't even think Dave knew until later. Cause you yeah. and Andrew stayed on the tour for a little bit. So Fox Crown says it's your job is to make a scene. That would be if we were actually acting. And the, the, the thing that made me think that it was authentic was because the cameras weren't even rolling. It wasn't like Rob acting out for the camera like you see on a lot of these ghost investigations and ghost shows. And I'm not, not saying that none of them are legit, but a lot of them just seems like scripted, right? Where it's like, oh my God, I just got scratched. Right. Go, okay, here we go. But the cameras weren't even rolling, so you had no reason to do it. And we snapped the pictures just in case. And it it was a risk even putting it in the episode, but I but it was there. And it was something that happened, and it seemed legit. But again, and we're still trying to justify it from another, like another way that it could have happened, too. Right. I will say, as a, somebody who, who who was somewhat skeptical or heavily skeptical, less skeptical now than I used to be, very skeptical before. There was a time where there was any time I see a scratch on one of these investigations, I was like, "Nope, you're full of it." Until we covered the Sally House. Yeah. Now I'm not going to discount yeah. anyone for. I'll like I'll give them the benefit of the doubt first. Maybe not first. But, you know, like Jesse said earlier, like Rob's not going to lie to us about it. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I understand people being skeptical about it. The other thing I'll say about it is that it it actually felt 
almost more like a burn than a scratch is the way I would describe it of the night. Mm -hmm. But the next day, I didn't feel anything. Yep. There was another investigation, and I'm not sure if he was upstairs or downstairs, but I was talking about um, Nick Groff's episode where he felt like he got grabbed by the back of the neck. I was like, Mm. oh, shit, that's kind of what happened to Rob. So interesting. It's it's not uncommon in the house to get touched or grabbed, and it's kind of like he alluded to it as like a like, hey, what are you doing in my house type situation. So, I mean, like like we said earlier, I think most of the spirits here are relatively um, safe, relatively unconfrontational, but yeah. they'll let their presence be known, but it doesn't seem like there's anything like too, too evil in the house. So I know we started off with kind of a bang where we may have gotten 666 on the spirit box. Rob may have gotten scratched. That immediately sounds like we're on like Sally House territory, but we're not. It seems like um, a lot of these shows and a lot of these investigations and a lot of these news reports and websites and everything, they pitch the Oliver house as more of like a safe, but spooky place to investigate. Definitely haunted. Um, but you should be okay. Should be. <laughs> should be. Yeah. Unless you're rotten. There's the basement though. We didn't, we didn't get anything. So and Andrew and I had spent a good chunk of the evening down in the basement trying to, we did the, um, the rods in the, in the spirit box. Uh, and we didn't get a whole lot. And we had the EVP detector down there too. Um, or the EMF rather, but we didn't, we didn't get anything, but, um, the basement would be the spot if there were going to be malign spirits because there was some dark stuff that went down down there, um, and we had talked about it. I know uh, Liz was saying that there were other people who had uh, experiences in the basement. Um, there was, you know, this this um, article that I was reading a minute ago said that they'd seen shadow figures down there. Um, but what they had, what the history of the basement was, was the the I don't remember which family it was, and I don't want to you know, say anything bad about either. It's probably the earlier family, but they kept slaves and they used to have them in that basement. And the area that they kept these slaves where they had to live in the basement was, I couldn't stand up. I'm not a tall guy. What? I couldn't stand up in there and I could barely stand with, you know, both, you know, with both my shoulders not touching the wall. And it only goes back about five or six feet. So yeah, they were tiny little compartments. Like smaller than jail cells, like you're talking like, and we showed we showed it actually a few times in the episode, but uh, you can yeah, really get a grasp. You can really get like a clear look of the actual yeah. size, or um, or tell by having someone stand in there. But it was like the fact that they used to keep people down there is disgusting, and you know if there were going to be malign spirits, I think that would be the place where they would be. We didn't be, we didn't find yeah. anything down there. We got nothing, but other was people two, had the past. Two uses for it. Uh, for one. I'm pretty sure you're right that it may have been like slaves quarters down there, servants quarters, whatever, but either way, terrible conditions to sleep in. But I believe later on it was actually used for the underground railroad. Right. Um, and that staircase, the reason it was so thin and I didn't, we didn't get any good photos of it. But I wanted to show it on the show, but it was actually, you could pull it up and down the staircase. It would drop up and down. So it's like a hidden staircase where um, you could hide people in the basement, or I believe there was like a compartment where you could hide people in. And um, so I believe it was also used in the underground railroad. Yeah. Yeah, so the the basement was the one place that I did not go to because I was getting some other stuff while you guys went down there, but it did look like a terrifying spot of the house, to be honest. What were you getting, Rob? Were you getting scared of spiders? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Yeah, probably. Um, What did you guys find like out in the back foresty area? Did you find anything other than that, that light? Uh, I mean, we heard noises, but like I said in the episode, it's impossible to not rule out that it's just a squirrel or animals in the woods. So um, if you could sense a, 
I don't want to discount people who, who really buy into puck wedgies, but for me, oh, are we um, gonna get into this? When I when I'm a complete skeptic on things, it's it's all things uh, like Bigfoot and and puck wedgie. I'm like I I love the idea of it, but I'm I'm not a believer. So just to be perfectly honest, not a believer, but I will go hunt for them. Yeah. Me and Andrew, we're all in. Like, let's find some damn puck watches. <laughs> I think that I think that's kind of like how I am with all of that, with all the uh, cryptid stuff. We actually got a request to start covering cryptids, so we might be doing some side content on that in the future. Just know that we're going to be going into cryptids with especially large amounts of skepticism. Yeah, I'm gonna, but I'm, I'm open. Gonna, I'm going to come in with some real Dave energy on those episodes. <laughs> but I'm going to enjoy it, man. It's fun. It's fun stuff to talk about for sure. But I'm definitely open to at least listening or like entertaining the thought of it, especially some of them. Right? The puck wedgies are a little weird, though. I'm just going to say that those are the uh, those are the ones that get me a little bit. So yeah. then. Yeah, terrified. So after that, me and Dave did the investigation in two different rooms. We did the child's room and we did the husband's room together. And I don't really think we got two. I think the the husband's room is where we got. Is that where we got the 666 stuff? I think that was the kid's room. No, that was the nursery. That was the nursery. So, yeah, I don't think the, the husband's room we got too much. Which I found kind of shocking because, like, if we were going to get anything, for some reason I thought it would be that room because they talked about the ghost of Earl being a, a gigantic presence in the house. So I thought maybe we would get more in there, but we did not. It was mostly the kids' room and the wives' room, Bethany's room. Well, Earl doesn't like the presence of women, so we were pretty uh, male, male heavy there. So maybe that's why. Oh, that's a good point. We definitely should have brought female with us to investigate in that room that would have been the that would have been the play i guess um did you find anything unusual with our spirit box session in the kids room or anything that jumped out at you yeah so um i like the spirit box but you know as i'm skeptical skeptical about all, all these things what i can say about the spirit box in this particular session um is it was very unusual how it responded to us almost every time and almost every time the response made sense as yeah. if it was. So like a spare box could just throw random words out at you. Right. And it, they could just, it could just be random words. And sometimes the random word might be an actual answer to your sent, you know, to the question that you asked. Um, it was just really weird that they were all that way. Every single one of them, there wasn't a single answer that came through that, that were like, that doesn't make sense. You know? So that for me was interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely found that interesting as well. Right. There was a what, what was particularly compelling about the spirit box sessions. If people don't know how these things work, um, you scan through radio frequencies. We like to scan a little faster than most people do because when you scan faster, it's harder to capture full words. And one syllable words they can happen because you're jumping through radio frequencies. So to get like a six or something like that, that could happen. But to get like when the thing said um, Saturday, yeah, that's that's scanning off. I three mean, you're talking about different, yeah, three or four different radio stations, and you're getting the same voice saying a full word. Now, Saturday didn't particularly make sense in that context, but you follow which up with it. in that in that whole little part, and I guess you can make out some of it. That was the only thing that didn't make a lot of sense. I at first I said to it. I, 
I got to take you to task real quick. Because in the episode, you said, Rob wanted to go get to the bottom of this by himself in that house. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't want to go in that room by myself at all. You guys made me go. That's precisely why we stuck you there by yourself. (laughs) I was like, I had no desire to go in that room. I was scared to death in that room by myself. Um, So I go in there and I'm asking questions and it's answering. And I just wanted to leave, to be perfectly honest. I didn't want to be in there anymore. So I said, do you want to talk to anybody else? And I thought it said a name and I couldn't make it out. So I said it again. I said, do you want to talk to anybody else? And then it goes, you. And I go, you've already talked to me. I have it, clear, clear audio of that. I wish I could pull it up real quick. And I, and I said, and I said it two more times. I said, do you want to talk to anybody else? And it said, you again. And then I asked it again. And then it said, you again. And I was like, all right. And then I think the Saturday question happened. And then I said, all right, I'm out of here. Goodbye. And it goes by. And I was just like, fuck, dude, I am leaving immediately. This is this is the worst. So you're, leading, you're definitely leading the witness to, to give you an out to get out of the room. And it didn't work out for you. <laughs> right. I was like, just talk to anyone else. Just leave me alone. I don't want any part of this anymore. So, yeah, I I just wanted to be out of that room. Um I cannot, I cannot go through listening to uh, the audio of Spirit Box right now and try to play it live on the show. But we'll release it separately because we got to clear you. Full mm-hmm. disclosure, I had finished the episode and then I found that clear you and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going back. <laughs> thing, like, I, can't, I can't now. So we'll release it on like Instagram or Twitter or something like that so you guys can hear it because that was actually one. Of, it goes, you... It was like real, like creepy way of saying it. So it's, uh, it's and I was scared, man. Like I was literally scared in that room. Um, and it's weird because like, we we're just saying this, we're, we're, we're flipping through these channels at a very high rate. So when you get a word, that's not a compound word that has breaks in it, like Saturday, that could be three different channels. And you just happen to get a word that sounds like that. You yeah. get a, you like a consistent, clear you that carries over three channels. That doesn't make sense. Right. And I was just like, I need to get out of this room. I need to get a little more brave. Apparently, when uh, when things get get this hectic, and try to get a little more. But I, uh, it was about an hour away from Saturday. TJ, TJ asked, "What was the time it happened at? Was it close to Saturday? It was probably around yeah. 11 p.m. on Friday night. Yeah, it was so that's, Friday that's night. why my response was, it's close to Saturday. It was almost Saturday." But I don't know if that was in reference to a question I asked. I forget what the question was that I asked. So to me, like that, all of that just was scary as hell. Uh, I know yeah. you guys didn't have any quite as close experiences as me, but I didn't have a lot of luck with the spirit box. To be honest, you guys were hogging the Bluetooth speaker, so I didn't really get too much with it. But well, as soon as you got it, you broke it, so that's a plus. I broke the aux cable. Yeah, we should add more. But yeah. Luckily, it was a little bit louder. I am going to. Uh, I'm going Subscribe to play to Patreon, the... and we will upgrade our equipment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play the um, the clip of of you talking to that because uh, what I didn't catch the first time around is you get a little girl's voice saying "mommy," which oh, is yeah, not yeah. not nearly as clear as the one of, that says "me." It okay. Let's talk about the me clip. This whole spirit too. box session was. The terrifying and you only played a little bit of it so yeah a lot of it like like you were you were catching stuff that i couldn't really hear clearly not enough to include it in the video but the that one where we played um where you two were asking you said um dave had asked particularly he said who is in the closet and it said and it whispered 
me, but it was super, super clear. And that just all I could think about is like little Abby either hiding from something or playing hide and seek. And that's her hiding spot. And that, that was immediately went through my mind. Cause she's just like, it's me, but shut up. You know, yeah. like uh, she whispered it came through the spirit box, super clear. And that we was need to go back there with the psychic medium so that we can tell Abby that that's not a good strategy for playing hide and seek. Right. <laughs> so that's it. And then we're out five minutes. We're in. Rough. <laughs> that's we, it. we helped that spirit. <laughs> yeah. So real quick, I, I want to play Rob's solo investigation again. And, um, and so we can go through what we heard in the order that we heard. Cause I think this was, this was my favorite moment of the night. I know that we got a lot of pretty good, cool stuff here, but I'm going to play this one real quick for you guys. Scratch it at all. Once. Did you scratch it at all? Once. Okay. So this one, going back to this one, we had all kind of agreed that we kind of heard once. I think it sounds more like yes. And I think it kind of sounds like Elvin and the chipmunks, but it sounds like it, they might actually be saying yes. So tell me what you think. Is it once? Is it yes? Is it absolutely nothing? This one happens really fast. I think of all these ones, this one's a little bit um, harder to tell exactly what they say. Did you scratch it at all? What do you think? Yes or once? I I see what you're saying. I'd like to hear it. Rob heard it in person in real time. Yeah, you heard heard once, which is why I took your word for it. But I think it could have also said yes, which also makes sense to the question once or yes is a valid answer to your question. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie says she heard once. Okay. All right. All right. Did you scratch it at all? Once. Did you scratch it at all? Once. Once. Did you fall down the stairs? So it's quiet, but it's right there. I hear a little mommy, and it sounds like a little kid. Uh, we got a we got a mix mixed bag over here. A lot of people are going with uh, once, a couple of yeses, and uh, yep, yep, yep. Either way, all valid answer to the question. So tell me if you hear this because it's it's a little bit quiet. But tell me if you hear a uh, um, little mommy over here. Right there, mommy. Yeah, that's fair. And that's one that, I mean, whether or not it said Jesus, but the fact that that's the same voice carrying over multiple radio frequencies right there. And it says it's slow and deliberately. It's Jesus. Sorry, Rob, were you just saying something or was that the video? That, that was me. That that Jesus, I, I counted. That Jesus carried over four different channels. Yeah. Because every time you hear a that's a channel changing. So Jesus over those four, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And especially, I mean, like, obviously, if you're tuning between radio stations, like, let's just say you go to 98.5, right? And then you can hear it nice and clear. You go to 98.6, it's staticky. You go to 98.7, it's gone, or it's on a different radio station, right? So that's something uh, that's something to think about because when it's skipping over multiple radio frequencies, that that signal should be dying out really fast. And when you can hear that voice carrying over multiple, that's why it's significant. I am going to let you go. Is there anything you want to tell me before, we, before I leave the room? It is almost Saturday. 
which is also carrying over like how we handled. Yep. Oh, God. Oh. Your reaction was so authentic here. I love it. <laughs> Just scared oh. Rob noises. So, uh, maybe it was a. Uh, I can't read that because the thing is over it. Maybe it was another ghost saying Jesus like he was annoyed with the other ghost responding to you. Oh, yeah, yeah maybe. I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yep. I didn't think of it that way either. Um, so I would, I would say that like my authentic reaction is because that's right at the end of like three times or four times of it just answering me every single time. And I was just like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> that was quick though. It was like, it wasn't like it took a little while, for, little, little while for it to say bye to you. Like it just said bye right away. Right. Oh, bye. Oh, have a good night. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty clear on that one. So almost like they're angry too, after they tried to get me to stay and, and talk. And I was just like, Nope, noping out of here. Indeed. Indeed. Anything else? I, we, this episode's running super long. Anything else you guys want to uh, touch on with this one? The, the only thing I would, other thing I want to bring up is after we were done with the investigation, I wanted to go get you some more footage, right. Of, mm-hmm. of around the area. So I decided those. I went to the graveyard and got the footage of their graves of the Sprout's family's graves. Sprout, Sprout's family's graves, and all I knew was the graveyard. I didn't know where they were, so I parked my car like in this one spot you could park. And this graveyard is extensive. Like you, I parked like right in the front where all the newer graves are, and then behind it is like this old, old graveyard. And it's like massive. And I'm just like, oh no, like I'm never going to find this thing. I'm never going to find this grave. I literally walked right to it. Like almost like something guided me to it. Like, and I had no idea where it was. I legitimately was there within five minutes and just, just the path I took led right to the grave and it's off to, to the back left. Not that that matters to anybody, but there's like almost like a dead end area. And that's just the way I went. And there it was. That's pretty cool. It's like you're drawn to it, right? So weren't that with, was. Weren't you with our medium friend? Are we? No, I no, I ended up going alone for that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe I am your medium friend now. Maybe that. It's the maybe. first sign. Yes. So yeah, that was just another like interesting tidbit. Could just be random coincidence that I just ended up going the right way. Um, but yeah, that that was interesting. I was, I I felt like I needed to go to those graves for some reason. So. Well, I appreciate the group effort in putting it out of this episode. Like I've been complaining about all week that uh, this is a very, very complicated episode to put together. But anytime we in, include a live investigation, that adds a whole different element to orchestrating the whole production of this thing. So obviously right. putting together the footage and everything. And then, um, you know, Dave, uh, or Rob getting me that graveyard footage was huge. Dave getting me all of the audio yesterday was, was definitely key. I, appreciate <laughs> that. I, I sat on it for two and a half weeks. <laughs> I was like he should, he should probably have this. <laughs> uh, this is a long one. What do we got next yeah. week? So I, I real quick, I do want to give a huge shout out to Liz. Uh, thank you for helping out. You're a great guide, and um, and to the all of the staff at the Oliver House for letting us in there. I would like to go back. I do feel like we we rushed a little bit, and I, I, I want to uh, I want to spend like way more time in there. So if we can get back right. there, maybe not maybe on a less hot day. <laughs> it was sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
then uh, I feel like we can get some more. We just get in there. We we already know the history. We've done our homework. Let's get in there and just knock it out. Let's just investigate nonstop. So I think we do that again, but we'll see about that for sure. I want to so. read a little part of an email that we received from Olivia. It says, hey there, new listener. Absolutely love your stuff. Big fan of the spooky and paranormal. Even if I'm not entirely sure, I believe in it yet. I love hearing the stories and history of places. Something really great and unique about hometown ghost stories is the slight skepticism you guys bring to the discussions. Makes it feel more genuine and more genuine than things like ghost hunting shows that are so dead set on everything being paranormal. So that's the little part I want to read that goes extensively further. And she tells some cool stuff about Savannah, but yeah, that's uh, I want to thank Olivia. Thanks to everyone that has listened and left us a review or sent us an email. We really appreciate it. It is helping out in ways you don't even know. For sure. Yeah. Um, and that thanks to Jay feel- Ginsburg too, who was also there helping out Liz. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks buddy. Um, that makes me feel a little bit uh, better about my hot take on puck wedgies. So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Uh, sp- some sprinkling in of crit- uh, of uh, skepticism for sure. Um, uh, we do have a cool uh, five star five star review. Did we read Smurf Hunter's review yet? No, I don't, think, so. I don't think I saw that one. Oh yeah, little five star guy. He says, "I love this podcast. The group does deep dives. The group does deep dives. That's a tongue twister into their weekly subjects with a lot of cool background info on each haunting. I love the narrative history." Aspect followed by the group discussion with plenty of friendly mocking and great puns. See that? They <laughs> are good. I told you. Eh, eh, sometimes. Uh, makes you feel like you're having drinks with friends. Cheers. Uh, I really uh, enjoy the movie reviews and can't wait for those episodes. Grew up on up all night horror movies and only have one person to discuss scary movies with. So this is gold. Thank you for the great work. I'm glad, I'm glad you like the horror movie reviews because that's quickly becoming my favorite part of the show as well. Really? Oh man, I love it. Love That's it. interesting. Yes. So because you didn't used to not used to not, not used to not be a fan of horror movies. So I right wasn't on. not a fan. I just uh, chose to play video games instead. But if I didn't say the name there, it's uh, Smurf Hunter Nine. So thank you, Smurf Hunter, for that. That's an awesome review. All right. Um, Matthew says I listen to you guys in my car. My twelve-year-old really enjoys your podcast too. He wants to go on a ghost hunt now. You Do should it. I want a ghost hunt. Ghost. Jesus. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Matthew, we're we're sorry we're sorry about Dave. Uh, Ghost hunt. <laughs> Jesus Christ, block his ears for that part. Oh my God. Um, I told you to stop talking to twelve year olds like that. Oh my God, that was aggressive. Uh, Irish, Irish assassin says this is the best episode you have ever seen. Ten out of ten. I appreciate that. I do want to go back and touch on. Um, Parker's uh, Parker's questions. Parker asked a couple questions. He said, uh, "Hey Dave, I had a, I have a question. Have you ever been to the Winchester Mystery House or not, Dave? <laughs> not yet, not yet. It's on our list of things to cover. Uh, that's one that I think we absolutely should go to if it's possible to go to it. I don't know if it's open for tours or ghost no, yeah. hunts. Um, but <laughs> nice job, better, much better. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely on our list of things to cover." And then Parker also asked if uh, we would do an episode on the Haunted Vale Mansion. I believe that's in Missouri, which we just did Missouri. So we probably 
Although that's never stopped us before from doing back to back to back episodes. Pennsylvania. We'll look into that one. If I'm talking about the right one, I think that one's in Missouri, but uh, not opposed to any of those. And definitely Winchester is on the back burner, probably for spooky season, which we have officially entered, ladies and gentlemen, we're in spooky season, but obviously it gets more spooky the closer we get to October. So it's going to be fun. For sure. Anyways, uh, this has been three hours of uh, an episode, so we should probably back it out now. Uh, Stephanie wants you to explain to your tech. No, we're not going to do that. At the very beginning of this episode, <laughs> the very beginning, it says hometown ghost stories, viewer discretion advised, and all the other stuff. So I'm covered. <laughs> you did well. It was an honest so. mistake. It was an honest, honest, angry, vile mistake. Australia next week. Oh, oh nice. We are going to Australia. Australia. We are doing the Monte Cristo homestead, which is bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Um, Yeah, so I am pretty excited to do that one. It's a story I knew a little bit about. And then when I really started diving into it, I was like, how do we how do we not just tell this story every single week? So crazy. So. Cool. Looking forward to that. Yeah, sounds good. And then uh, this Friday, we will be dropping horror movie reviews. We jumping back into it, boys? Yes, sir. We got uh, Insidious, the original, and we have It Follows also, which was from 2015. And also, bonus, if you are a Patreon subscriber, you will get our review of The Black Phone, which is in theaters now, starring Ethan Hawke. It's on video on demand as well, so you can watch it from your house and do all that fun stuff. Sounds good. So yeah. I'm... Uh, I'm excited for that. I watched uh, I watched uh, Insidious twice yesterday, so I am prepared. Not yesterday, Sunday, but I am prepared. I'm prepared. Nice. Yes. Right. That'll be anyway. dropping on Patreon for Patreon people either tomorrow or Thursday. Yes. Nice show. Anyways, right. uh, well, thank everyone for tuning in. Thanks again to Liz Ginsburg and everybody at the Oliver House. And we'll be back on Friday for a brand new episode of Hometown Ghost Stories. If you want to join in the live chat for all you audio listeners, swing by Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern standard time. I know a few people, a few people were mentioning in chat that they were late today because they got the time zone wrong, but we... There's only one real time zone. Like, I don't... Let, do we want to do this? No, we don't. People? Definitely not. That's a really boring conversation that we don't have to have. So, anyways... Eastern <laughs> time. Eastern standard time. Uh, swing by, and again, for audio listeners, I know there's a lot of you, a lot more audio listeners and visual watchers. Please, swing by the YouTube channel and check, it, uh, check out at least... Uh, every single thing that we've ever released <laughs> at the very and least so much to ask for a bunch of fucking tabs <laughs> and watching everything at once i want volume on on every single video too all right Send us I want reaction to all of it at the same time please do please do anyways i appreciate you guys all for hanging out and uh we will talk to you guys next time see you later <laughs>